Hey everybody, it's Kenya, and this is the Thank You For Saying No podcast, where we find meaning in life's unexpected turns. Zev Talblib, welcome to the Thank You For Saying No podcast. Thank you for saying yes. That was so kind of you. I am used to being told no most of the time, so perfect. it's nice for it to change. You're perfect for, for the show. Thank you. We have pickles upon request. I did request them, and I'm so glad you also said yes to the pickles. <laughs> pickles in a podcast. Um, for those who don't know Zev, he is a soccer player who has a really inspiring story and a big passion for the game that led him to play all over the world. Um, you've been playing for eight years with... I'm going to, I can do this off memory. Des Moines Menace. Is it Menaces? Would it be Menaces? Uh, we were Menaces, to be fair, while okay. we were playing. <laughs> Des Moines But uh, it was Des Moines Menace. <laughs> okay. I was the only Menace. You were the only Menace. Okay, Des Moines Menace. I'm cheating here. Seattle Sounders, Sacramento Republic, Wilmington Hammerheads, Charlotte Independence, um, Varbarg Boys. Very good. The sweets will be very proud of you. Thank you. And Oat Vita Berry. Wow. Thank you. Sure. And Richmond Kickers. You've signed yourself a contract in Sweden. Congratulations. (laughs) Congratulations. So, and did you play in Israel before? Uh, There was a stint in Israel. We can get into that. There are lots of no's during that process. Okay. It it was complicated. Did I name one of those teams? Um, You didn't, but only because I think on the, when I, what I sent you. Okay. It was like, it happened, but kind of not really, because I was told no after being told yes. So yeah, it's a good part of the story. Okay. And then you have your own consulting business. I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can dive a tiny bit. I'm known as the college soccer guy on right. TikTok. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have 120,000 followers as of today, actually. Congrats. And I help high school athletes play college sports. Very cool. And then you just bought a team or a club. I did. Yes, this- I did uh, have the opportunity based off of my history as a soccer player in the community to become a owner of a team in Santa Monica. And it is called the UPSL Surf. And I am now the owner alongside my brother. And we're very excited to put that together. Lots of no's on that journey as well. That's awesome. So something that really stood out to me when I first learned of your story is how you didn't let being no told early on stop you from keep trying to play professionally. And like you took no's as meaning like it's time to get to work. You really said it well there in the sense of my <laughs> our household motto, and mm-hmm. I always joke, our, our household was like a superhero film in the sense that in our house, it felt like we always had a weighted vest on in terms mm-hmm. of the demand that was there. So whenever we left the house, we'd be like, oh my gosh, life is so much easier. But in our house, there was a, you have to do this. Mm. Otherwise, otherwise get out. Yeah. And that, that mentality was this. No, literally, this is what my father would tell us all the time. No means get to work. Mm -hmm. That's literally what it meant. And when I talk to my students now who are told no on a regular basis in the recruiting process and was throughout my own career, no literally just meant get to work. And from that perspective, that's where it all started. So when you actually talked to me about the opportunity and you would use the word no in your podcast, I was like, finally, somebody (laughs) that gets the power of the no. Yeah. And so it's very cool to be here. That's awesome. So today we're going to talk about... um, Obviously, some of your no's along the way, your unexpected turns, and some of the lessons you learned throughout your soccer journey. But I want to start with, like, how you got into soccer. So how old were you when you started? Like, how'd you get into it? You would ask me at the beginning of the podcast if this was going to be good. So this is going to be pretty good right now. <laughs> so at the beginning, initially, I 
fell in love with just running constantly, mm-hmm. like constantly running. Not, not. I couldn't stop moving. Was At least it, it like was told to me. Uh, perhaps it was therapeutic. I think I was. My parents both worked a tremendous amount, so I just was constantly running. I think normally they would call it ADHD. Oh. <laughs> um, but you know, I was just a kid, and I just wanted to move. And so we tried other sports, but it didn't really work. Mm-hmm. So. Soccer, I fell in love with it pretty early. Like at four, I was playing. But mm-hmm. by eight years old, I had written down on a post-it note that I wanted to be a professional soccer player and that I wanted to be in the World Cup and I wanted to change lives through soccer. Mm-hmm. That was like at eight. That was what I decided. Yeah. And my I come from a pretty high-strung family. So they were like, yeah, that's what you should do. Like, Get to work. You're late. You're eight. You're eight. Why didn't you start earlier? So they were very supportive, but they were like, yeah, let's go. Let's get mm-hmm. to work. So... Uh, I was getting to work in regards to what would that mean? What does that mean to be a pro soccer player at eight in the United States? Mm-hmm. My father was a surfer. My mother was a dancer. They knew nothing about kicking soccer balls. Yeah. And so the first thing I did was I was like, look, as an eight-year-old, I was like, look, if I touch the ball more than anyone else, I'll be the best. Yeah. So I literally, and I'm not really exaggerating, unless you want this to turn to a comedy show, then I can pretend that I am. <laughs> but basically, I took the ball everywhere. In the shower, in the mm-hmm. bed, to temple, to church, to mm-hmm. everything. I just took it everywhere. You to went school. to temple and church? Um, actually, church came later. Okay. <laughs> but temple, I did go to temple nice. at the beginning. And uh, it was like constantly w- with me everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I have a one silly story. I remember once I was playing with it at recess at school. Uh-huh. And I would like dribble it into the classroom. And of course, the teachers would be like, you have to put the ball away. And then I'd be in class, you know, like tapping it the whole time. And once at recess, we were playing and it ended up in a classroom. And it was Mr. Perry. I remember his face so clearly. <laughs> he was Mr. Perry. He was the most scary teacher. And he comes outside with the ball. And he was in the science class. So he had tools. Mm-hmm. And he goes, pop. He popped the and ball. And popped the ball. Oh, my God. And I was in tears. Why would he do that? I know. What a so rude. high school. Ridiculous. I was so sad. <laughs> uh, luckily, one of, the high, like, one of the seniors was in the class. And he was like, Dev, don't worry. You're going to be a great soccer player one day. And I was like, oh, that means a lot to me. So... Uh, I was addicted to playing. Yeah. And then they came the next pieces of like, what does that right. mean? Like, okay, so you're addicted. Like, you can't just be, just being good is not it. And that was when the nose started happening. Yeah. And in the fact, the nose, when you're young, you know, they're like multiplied. It's yeah. like, it's like difficult, but mm-hmm. that's how I got started playing soccer. That's awesome. And when did you realize, like, it was within your grasp to play professionally? <laughs> Definitely never. Um, I was told no till the day, till it occurred. Yeah. Uh, and that will develop some of this story, which is basically sure. initially I was like, I want to play soccer. And in the youth soccer world, how it works is there's different levels, tiers within youth soccer. Mm-hmm. And if you don't meet certain tiers by a certain age, it just becomes more and more difficult. Yeah. And soccer's grown a lot since then. Mm-hmm. And it's going to keep growing. And at the time there were pro soccer teams like the MLS, which is like the NBA of soccer in america Mm -hmm. you know i'm glad Mm -hmm. you know yeah and so it was like to get to that point you didn't really know what to do Mm -hmm. other than college soccer was kind of the only way you could do it unless you were turning pro as a teenager and i was told no at eight years old i was told like you're gonna be on the ayso b team like that's where it started b team then it was like okay versus like a being the best team yeah a being the best team and so I was on the B team. And then the B team was like, hey, we're starting another team. You can be the last player on that team if you want to not play. Mm-hmm. I was like, yes. If it's the best team out there, I'll go to that team. Yeah. So I said, yes, train, train, train. Move up to the next level. Nope, you're not good enough. You can be the last player if you want. Mm-hmm. Boom, boom, boom. Try again. And I did that basically for seven years. Yeah. And then my junior of high school, I played JV soccer. Like wow. I was as a junior, I was playing 
JV. Mm-hmm. And so I was obviously told no again. Yeah. And then that was, a, there was a turning point when I was 14, I met a coach, a mentor, and his name was Dan Metcalf. Mm-hmm. And he was like, look, I know everyone's telling you no, but I'm going to tell you yes, because I really can feel your passion and how badly you want this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of the beauty, going back to the the no. Yeah. I want to tell you a quick story. Okay, there, I have a story after. Oh, brilliant. So <laughs> there's a, a proverb mm-hmm. that basically goes like this. So this gentleman goes... His, he's a farmer and one day two horses come into his farm mm-hmm. and the, the people from the town come and they go, isn't this great? Like you've got two horses. And he goes, I don't know if it's good or bad yet. His son rides the horse, breaks his back and is injured because of the two horses. The town come again. They go, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Bad luck. Like you're, the horses broke your son's back. And he goes, I don't know if it's good or bad luck. Next. Bad luck. Next week he goes, the army comes and mm-hmm. says, we're taking all able-bodied men to the army. And his son has broken his back, so he can't go to the army. So all the, they, they come again, all of the towns, but they go, you're so lucky. You know, your son was hurt, so he didn't have to go to the army. And he goes, I don't know if it was good or bad luck. And that concept, if you can have that in your brain, then all of a sudden you really go, wow, maybe these no's are opportunities, another mm-hmm. door. And so in this case, the no's over and over again led me to this coach. And that coach is really what jump-started really what it meant not just to like have a passion for it but what do i do to actually make it happen and he would always tell me why not you and that was a big piece of it so the proverb is like falling off the horse could be a good thing exactly or anything yeah like if uh, you fall it could be like sorry i didn't mean to say that no no no, you're right yeah yeah yeah. i'm serious (laughs) falling can be good yeah many times and i think the what i encourage my students now is i Mm -hmm. go you could fall like this so you're like bracing yourself for the fall because you know it's going to be miserable Mm -hmm. and i really tell people like you got to fall like this like Mm -hmm. fall forward but fall belly flop like hit it hard because you'll learn a lot more that way it will hurt a lot more and it'll suck (laughs) but you'll learn a lot more as if you kind of protect yourself from the failure and you go well i'm going to try 80 Mm percent that way i don't fail as hard i go i want to see red on your belly when you get out of that pool yeah so that actually kind of relates to my story that i had so um when I was in my first year of law school, like it was my first milestone in my legal journey. It was my first year of law school. I was trying to apply for a summer job and I had applied to like so many places, probably like 50 or so places. I only interviewed with a couple, with a couple firms. And then summer was approaching. Like I hadn't heard back from anybody. I was like, oh my God, like I was starting to get really stressed out, right? Like long story short, I get a call like probably a week before summer starts, like a, like I'm fucking pushing it to the gut. <laughs> a week before summer starts, and it's the Department of Justice Environmental Division, and they offered me a summer position. And I was like, I just needed one yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like all in retrospect, all of those no's like made sense because something else was out there for me that I just hadn't found yet. And that yes opened up a lot of doors later in law school. So all of those no's didn't even matter anymore, even though they felt so big in the moment. So that actually leads me to my next question, which what no's in your career actually opened other doors? Okay, that's great. I was going to ask you, I'll answer that happily. But what what kept you going having been told no and over again? Because even, you know, with my case, it was, you know, it's no fun being told no. It's easy to say, oh, there's another door over here and you mm-hmm. should be so happy. But you're not really happy about it. You wish they had told you yes. Yeah. Did you have a, a model that helped you? I 
I had a passion for wanting to work in the environment and I'm an environmental attorney now. So, but it was a challenge every step of the way because it's a very competitive market and there's not like a lot of jobs for the amount of people applying like throughout the whole thing, like summer internships, externships, like jobs, real attorney jobs, all of it. And so I just like, I knew that's what I wanted to do. I think when I was young, I always had this affinity for the environment and and protecting it. So I just knew like, I'm going to keep trying until something fits. And so my mindset, like in law school was very much like, I'm being told no, because there's something else out there for me. And so that sort of mantra like kept playing in my mind when I got like rejection after rejection. I was like, there's something else out there and I'm going to find it soon. Amazing. I'll note it. Thank you. That's very helpful. And <laughs> uh, what knows would have helped me lead to another door. No, what knows did help. Lead did to, help me. I mean, yeah, actually did. Is Initially, I would say the first one was like in club soccer. They're like, no, you're too short. That was mm-hmm. classic. And that was like, okay, well, I mean, I don't know what you want me to do about that. So I just yeah. have to keep going. So that's easy <laughs> one. Then the second one, which I, the one that first came to mind was I had the opportunity to go to England and live there when I was like 14. And they told me right playing away. Soccer? Playing soccer. And they told me, look, we're, we're telling you today that you're not going to play for our team. Mm-hmm. And it was a, it's called Fulham, which is in the soccer community, a big deal, kind of like the Clippers youth team. Okay. So it was like, look, you're not going to play for us pretty much ever, but we really like you as a player. We love your personality. So come every single year. And if things happen in your own country, that gives you the opportunity to, for us to say yes, then maybe we'll let that happen. And so one of the no's I got was when I turned 17, I was trying to make everything happen so I could sign abroad. They're like, look, unless you play for your national team and you have what's called 70% of the tribunal board, which is basically the ability to prove to a country that you deserve a work permit, we're not going oh. to sign you abroad. Mm. And that no to this day is how I help my students to the utmost degree because mm-hmm. a lot of them go, look, I really want to go pro. And I say, do you have a European passport? And they say no. That no helps us go, hey, what about college soccer? What about a new direction that we can take? So for me, that's what it did. That no was like, Wow, so I really can't play in England. Like that's kind of my dream. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you can, but you have to, you know, be one of the best players in the country. And even if I felt I was the best, you have to be considered the best. So you have to be called up to yeah. the Olympic team type mm-hmm. of thing. And I wasn't being called. So it was like, okay, so should I quit? And I was like, heck no, I'm not gonna yeah. quit. So what do I do? And so then I went back and figured out, look, college is the model. If I play college soccer, I'll still be able to go pro. And that was the first no that was like, thank God that happened. Yeah, because that led you to play college soccer. Led me to play college soccer, which inevitably led me to play pro soccer. And I was not ready to play pro Mm -hmm. at 17. Yeah. Just wasn't ready yet. Mm -hmm. And those four years helped me develop. So I was ready. And then I had an amazing coach and I've I've lived across the world. And then now what I I do in addition to playing pro soccer is I literally have helped this year alone, like hundreds of kids get an education, which is amazing. Like through soccer? Through soccer. And I really... You know, I'm so grateful to that. Yeah. So I think like, I don't know a lot about sports, admittedly, (laughs) but I do think sports like most things in life. So I'm trying to parallel it to my own experience, but it's like life is like half skill, like how half whatever you're trying to do, whatever your skill is and half mental, like being able to mentally handle the challenges that you're going to go through. So what challenges did you face when you were first trying to 
play professionally? Uh, the first one was right after college. The way you go pro in the traditional model is you get drafted. So they go, you're the best. You're so good in college. So now you get drafted. Mm-hmm. And I was told, no, you're mm-hmm. not going to get drafted. So then you go, what do you do? So you go to open tryouts. And that's a unique opportunity that you're able to do in the United States where you're able to go to an open trial. Mm-hmm. That doesn't exist anywhere else really in the world. Yeah. So I must have gone to 15 open trials. And I got told no every single time. Yeah. And... Going back to your point, which is why I was asking, you know, how did you deal with those no's? And I, I think you hit the nail on the head, which reminded me because I was like, how did I deal with that? It was a lot of no's. Yeah. And it was, I just loved <laughs> so many no's. Is your, your passion is really is like, I yeah. just love this so much. Mm-hmm. I love this so much. I'm going to, I want this so badly. I'm going to keep doing it until I can't. Until yeah. I'm just going to keep going. So in my case, the, the no's eventually led to me trying out. So the most challenging part was afterwards, I really wanted to go pro. And I just kept going to open tryouts. And I, was, I wasn't like, I did very well in college, but not like traditional drafted number one or anything like that. It was, you know, no again, no again, no again. And then I was at a, a tryout near my hometown and there was a coach who- Where is your hometown? Um, I'm from Malibu, California. Nice. And this tournament or this game was in Ventura. Mm-hmm. And they were like, look, Zev, we, we like you. We'd like to see you again. And I was like, great, thank goodness they like me because uh, my groin is killing me. <laughs> and so then I played in a game and funny, which I love to tell, uh, they're definitely not listening. But if you are listening, then <laughs> then guess what? I made it. But which is basically uh, I wanted to go to UCSB was one of the schools. And I was I went to their ID camp as a high schooler and I got the MVP of the camp twice. Wow. And they never recruited me. Oh. They're never even coming close to recruiting me. Okay. Basically they were like, Yeah, you're the best one at the camp, but like we don't want you. Oh. And now mm-hmm. that I didn't know that was a thing. I figured if I'm the best one here, here yeah. then I'm right. Uh-huh. But they said no twice. And then in order to earn my pro contract, we played against them. And I scored and I got an assist against them. And nice. I was like, that felt really good. <laughs> um, and then I tore my groin. Right oh. after that. So they were like the team. So I said to myself, you know, because when you go to tryouts, it's, it's really ag- aggressive on you because you just play games over and over. Yeah. So I remember walking up to the hotel room. It was right by C Street, same surf, famous surf spot. And I was looking at the waves and I was like, this is it. He's either going to tell me yes or no. And I've got, you know, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to have to wait a year mm-hmm. or until the tryouts are again. Yeah. And uh, I remember he took me into the room and he didn't really say yes. Mm-hmm. He basically just said I don't really know what to do with you. And I said, I'll see you Monday. And that was it. <laughs> and then you're on the team. And I was on the team. And then, yeah. the then team. I signed the contract and that was wow. my first contract. So how did you deal with the, like, was it mentally challenging on you when you kept getting all of those notes? Uh, yeah, it was. I think to what you mentioned earlier was like, you love it so much. And, mm-hmm. and that way, now I can say this. It wasn't, didn't feel at the time. Like the journey has been amazing. Yeah. The people I've met, the experience I've had, mm-hmm. just like, wow. And as an adult now, say for my kids one day, I'd be like, look, go for your goals. If you make it, what, or whatever that term of make it is, you're going to have this amazing thing. And you're lucky that you have a passion. You know, most yeah. people, unfor- and it's not even unfortunate, but you, relatively young, knew what you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I knew what I wanted to do very young. And so there was a driving force. Like the whole time, there was no question of what else is there. It was only that. And so it was difficult for sure in regards to being told no over and over, but it wasn't like there, it was lucky. I guess they say that, but you have to love it as bad as you want to breathe. So, you know, I, I really wanted it. And so I just, you just yeah. kept going. You just kept trying again. Yeah. So were, are you the kind of person that is very hard on yourself? Like, are you coachable or are you like, so for me, I think I'm my toughest critic. 
So when I get criticized out in the profession or just in the real world, I'm like, it doesn't sting as much because I'm already the harshest critic mm-hmm. there is out there. Is that, can you relate to that or how are you? Uh, I definitely would say I'm harsh on myself, but in my world, which might be similar to yours, my life is determined by somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> so when they criticize me, it didn't feel very good. <laughs> and often in our world, if you're getting criticized, it means one of two things. Either they, the coach loves you and they're criticizing you because they care about you and they want you to do better or they hate you and they want you to get the heck out. Mm-hmm. And I had one opportunity. I, was, I just signed for my first pro contract. The first coach that brought me in really liked me. He ended up leaving. New coach came in. Within three days, he was like, we don't want you around anymore. Mm. Like, get out. And I was under contract, so yeah. you can't just kick me out. So they have to buy me out. Mm. And I was like, I want to earn my spot. I want to prove it to you, da, da, da. And he was like, no, I yeah. won't let you even do that. Wow. So that didn't feel good. No. <laughs> and they was criticized. You know, it was like, you're not dynamic enough, which is a terrible way to like criticize somebody because you're, it's like, just tell me you don't think I'm good enough, dynamic enough. What, what does that mean? Yeah. What do you want me to do more of? I yeah. can try mm-hmm. if you want me to. So uh, to answer your question, I would say I am harsh on myself, mm-hmm. but mainly just because I like, I like wanting it better. Yeah. But I didn't love getting criticized by other yeah. coaches all that much I think which is probably why I bought a team so now nobody can <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's tough like it's growing pains but I think at the end of the day ultimately like the only way to grow is to like reflect and sometimes for me I need other people to point out things to me well said and I think it's particularly I would say it's shifted a lot and I think for the better not that so at the beginning I took everything like a sponge and they have this in, in the sports world. If you take all the criticism in, mm-hmm. you'll just be feeling like you're getting punched constantly. Yeah. You know, yeah. just like Because you can always get better. Mm-hmm. And then some of the best players, you know, I think with their headspace go like, look, I hear what the coach said. I'm going to listen to what he said. But I think I'm really good. Mm-hmm. And that balance of like, yeah. I'm harsh on myself, but I think I'm really good is difficult and something that I strive for now as a player and I try and instill in my young players now and Mm -hmm. that's important to me so it's a balance pretty usual okay and then how about like when we're winning it's easy to be like oh I got this this is it like I'm made for this right but like when you lose a few games or you have like a lot of tough days like soccer days in a row or like a tough weeks or months I don't know what it's like (laughs) I have no idea but like how do you overcome those tough times when so not when you're getting told no necessarily mm-hmm. but when you're like like you keep fumbling i think obviously it goes back to the passion bit so you really like it but ultimately i really struggled with it and mm-hmm. i ended up hiring a sports psychologist and mm-hmm. they gave us some tools yeah. one of which is redefining the word no so mm-hmm. that's helpful so you go you know another door opens type of thing so that mantra you talked about mantra could be really helpful so yeah my mantra was more was more like why not you because mm-hmm. i really wanted to play in europe that was like everyone's dream and everyone kind of was like not possible I was did like, you play in europe or any of those sweden sweden okay yeah so then i did eventually get to there nice. and i was like really that's what i want so why not you why not you why not you get told no why not you and then the other thing and we call this in the soccer world you call it a game model i call it like uh, a pro model in my case so i had a set of things that i was going to do mm-hmm. uh, in my own control and I was like, look, if I do these things, sleep, eat well, exercise this much, do these things, then I'm okay with the outcome because mm. I can't control it. It's not yeah. really in my control. Mm. And by having this model, whenever I'd be like, shoot, I'm on the bench, which isn't really in my control, I would refer back to my model and go, at training, did I try and play it to the striker? Because that was my model today. Did I do that? And if I didn't, then I would beat myself up and go, 
you know, I said I would do it and I didn't do it. Yeah. But if I did it and I messed up or I got put on the bench, I would say, did I go out to do what I expect, tried to do today? I did. Mm. Well, that's great. That means I did my part. And it was not easy. It sounds like a perfect model. But you, especially in sport, you're desperate for the coach to like you. Because yeah. he controls or she controls or they control whatever you what exactly what you want. Mm-hmm. They control it all. And as a young man in particular, and or a young woman, oh, you're desperate to to make sure you they you like them. And how do you go like how do you get benched mm-hmm. and go, you know what, I'm still a baller? It's difficult. Yeah. It's difficult, especially when you're a young person. You as, you accumulate whatever the coach says with correct. Mm-hmm. As you've gotten older, as I've gotten older, you go, look, like at the pro level, for example, everyone on the bench is very good. Mm-hmm. Why oh, one yeah. starts over another is nuanced. It's mm-hmm. not better or worse at that level. But when you're young, that's what you're told. You're on the bench. You must be worse than that guy. Mm-hmm. And as I've gotten older, look, a great example. I started, I was coaching a high school team. Uh-huh. And the head coach is amazing. He's better than me. Just like great coach. Mm-hmm. But we looked at the lineup once and I was like, and this is high school soccer. Okay. So theoretically low level. Mm-hmm. I would have picked a completely different 11 people than he would have. Mm. How could you say that at high school level? Wouldn't you pick the best players? Wouldn't it be obvious? And that's when it really hit me like, wow, if it's subjective at that level, yeah. when, they, when theoretically they all suck mm-hmm. or they're all great, but within a reason. Then, oh my gosh, at the pro level, it's like the difference is it's like this. So that really helped me because I was like, yeah. wow, just because I'm on the bench doesn't mean I'm bad. And yeah. that was a great headspace for me. And that that was huge. That's interesting. So I hear you like you set your own intentions that you yeah. were going to make, that mm-hmm. you were going to meet. And that's how that's a good one. Like setting your own intentions, like achievable goals for yourself. Um, and I heard like people all have different perspectives on what they think is great and that is like really interesting and that's something i've learned a lot just not just in the legal profession but just in life in general like and that's fine like people can like different things and like think different things are great and like my my perception of great is like how i live my life and i just respect that other people's perception is how they live their life it's hard when you're like kind of succumb to the decision maker, but like, yeah. but it's an interesting outlook for sure. Okay. When did you realize you needed to have, or did you ever realize you needed to have good support around you to succeed? I think I definitely denied it for most of my life. I was like, it's all about me. I got to do better. I got to do this. And then uh, injuries was a classic Mm. where you're like, oh my gosh, now I'm not playing soccer. So then I need a good doctor. I need a good physical therapist. And then when you're young, you're like, mom and dad, do your job. Like be my mom, be my dad. But then you very quickly learn, you know, how lucky you are that they're your mom and dad. Mm -hmm. And that I have both my mom and dad. And in my case, I have two brothers that I'm very close with. Mm -hmm. So on top of all those things, I was like, wow takes a village and that's really when it really was like wow you really do need everybody and when and this is different than your profession two things can stop you from playing soccer the coach Mm -hmm. and the physical part like there's you know if i not able to run i don't get to play yeah and so when you're young in particular you don't understand the concept of an injury like when you're 12 or 13 and i had my first knee injury when i was 13 Mm. and it was like what like, why do I have to rest? And the doctor would be like, you'll be better in a month. A month for a 13-year-old a <laughs> is miserable. Yeah. So you're like, you're still playing kind of. You're like hobbling because you're mm-hmm. like, it doesn't really hurt. Oh, that one hurt, but not bad. And then you don't rest and then it takes forever. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're looking at longer than that. So 
and I've had injuries in my career and that was when I was like, look, I need a back. I need support. Cause like you get, when you're that young and you really want something, you know, you have bad thoughts. You're like, oh my gosh, I just don't, I don't like where I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. Luckily as you get older, you get perspective, but right. it was, that was when I realized like, wow, it's really great to have people around me. Yeah. I don't think I, I could have such a like positive mindset through the no moments. Unless, like, if it wasn't for my friends. And actually, my friends inspired this podcast. Because my friends are just, like, so fucking resilient and just, like, badass. So they, like, inspired this whole thing. That's really cool. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, When you were told no by your coaches or your teams or whatever it was, um, what was the next action that you took? Like, you talk about being no means get to work like what does that actually look like for you so it kind of goes back to the game model or the life model or the pro model which was like hey, a game model in the in the pro world your coaches will come to you a good coach and will say here's the game model meaning this is how we're going to play every game kind of no matter what okay these pieces so mm-hmm. even if say we're going to defend mm-hmm. the, the game model wouldn't change okay now we may be slightly farther back on our side of the field but the game model, which was like how we were going to score or how we would pass to each other, never changed. It always was the same. What if people knew your game? It's a good question. Ultimately, soccer is not that complicated. Okay, Everybody's passing to each other. So it's not like <laughs> it's not that hard to figure out. Okay. But even if they knew the game model, quote unquote, some, well, you might lose. That could happen. Yeah. They, we might, you know, that definitely could happen. But there were certain things with the game model that were never changed. So, for example, how you treat the, your teammates, mm-hmm. you know, that you're positive. That's a game model. You don't change that. So in our case, or it'd be like, get it to that player. That might change per game. But game model aspects would be like, in our case, in soccer terms, it was like, get to the D zone, which is like the danger zone, which is like on the outside of the goal. That's like where you go, no matter what. That was the, and and the other teams could know the model and it wouldn't matter because we were so good at it. Mm -hmm. So in life, I think it's important to have game models where it's like, no matter what happens, it doesn't change. Yeah. So can you repeat the question? I think I was. Uh, yeah, no, about that's myself. fine. Let me think. Um, when you were told no by those teams, oh yeah, what was the next action you took? Like, yeah, so yeah. what I would do is I would go back to my game model, and I would be like, "What's what's the game model?" Okay, I said, and this goes to the nuance where it's like in soccer in particular, it wouldn't just be about getting better on the field. Mm-hmm. Like that's like genuinely that's what everybody does. Yeah, that's the that is the if you don't do what's on the field, get the heck out of here. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do outside of it? Emails, calling, showing up, finding out what the coach's kids' names were, buy them a skateboard, whatever. Like, how would you figure it out mm. in order to get your chance? Yeah. And so that was what I would do is whenever I was told no, I'd go back to the game model. And some you have to change the model because you improve, you get better at things. But, you know, I luckily when I spent my time abroad in England, they had the perfect one. How many times a day to train? How many times to eat? How much water to drink? They had the exact model that literally produced the best in the world. Mm-hmm. So I copied it. Yeah. I just did everything that said. So that's how I dealt with the no's over and over. Yeah. I was like, great. Thank you so much. I'll go back to my model now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I didn't know exactly what it was. So I may have to ask an expert and say, hey, expert, this is what just happened in my life. What do I do next? Mm. And that was the, what do I do next? What do I yeah. do next? And I think, it, yeah, that's what I would say. That's a good one. I think... So in my life, the experts are like mentors or people who know how, know the path that I want to walk. And um, yeah, that's interesting. So your model changes, like you kind of adapt your model if it's not working. Yes, I would say you adapt your model if it's not working. 
particularly to figure out what did. And to do that, you would mm -hmm. find out from the experts. Like in my case, what I was doing early on, strategically speaking, in college, if you want to get drafted, you're better off graduating a semester early mm. because from, from college. Oh, okay. Because the draft is in January and you don't normally graduate in January. Yeah. And if you don't, then you may not get your degree. And my parents weren't going to have that. So and they wouldn't let me play. Mm -hmm. So and I needed their financial help. Yeah. So I took summer school mm -hmm. and I and I would ask the pros. I would be like, hey, what did you struggle with? How did you get help? Yeah. What did you need? Mm -hmm. And I get a lot of messages now. I get a lot of messages. And what frustrates me with those messages. So if you're listening, just kidding, is like <laughs> they'll be like, can you give me some tips? That's nonsense. Like, that's not how you approach somebody. You have to be like. Show me that you've done your research. Mm -hmm. Ask me a clear question that's well-written, mm -hmm. organized, yeah. has a purpose to it. And I love helping people that show passion. I will yeah. do. I will go to the ends of the earth for those people. But the ones that just want information, uh, you know, I don't feel good about. Yeah. Just, I don't feel like they really are going to listen to what I'm going to say. So I don't want to waste my time. Yeah. I think half of it is like trial and error is what it's sounding like. And that's, that's my experience just with everything I've ever done. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big believer, which is like different to other people, but I'm a big believer in quantity over quality. I'm the opposite. You're the opposite. I'm the opposite of most people. <laughs> I think the more the better. Mm -hmm. And over time, it becomes quality. Mm, that's an, Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I did a lot of networking um, throughout law school. Again, like people who had the path I wanted to take. And I would ask them, like, how did you get to where you are? Like, because there's lots of different paths to get to the same spot. And so I was always asking people, like, how did you get to where you are? Like, what did you do? Or, like, sometimes I'd be like, this is what I'm doing. Like, where's the error? You know, <laughs> where am I going wrong? Like, why isn't this working? Or, um, like, I would change my game model by, like, if I applied to a job and the cover letter didn't hit, then I'd be like, hmm, let me try this way. Or let mm -hmm. me try that way. Or let me try a story. Or let me, you know what I mean? It's like just trying different things until something clicked. In my world, like there's a bonus is I could go like show off what I do on the field. Mm -hmm. How would you impress people? Like, Writing samples. Writing samples. <laughs> Very exciting. Yeah. No highlight videos. No highlight videos. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, and then you mentioned injuries and how did your injuries set you back and how did you overcome them? Uh, now I would say they set me forward at the nice. time though. At the time though, uh, I mean, one, you lose the opportunity to play. So like then your stock goes down. A little bit so in my case i had a number of like injuries with my groin some muscle stuff but the big one happened a couple years ago where i tore my acl mm. which really ouch. ouch it was very painful but look one out of seven athletes tear their acl so it's like pretty pretty common yeah you're pretty lucky if you haven't so but at the time when i did it i had just come off another uh, fractured foot so i was like i'm fit i'm healthy i just come off a fractured foot and then I tore my ACL like pretty early on. So at that point, it'd become like a three-year ordeal wow. by the time I got back or two and a half. And then I had to get a second surgery done on my knee, which doesn't normally happen. But I was part of the 2% that the doctor who put the Lucky. screw in. No, this was the unlucky 2% <laughs> because I had to get another surgery done. Oh, my God. And normally for ACLs, you get one surgery, you're good. But I had to yeah. get two. Oy. And it was, yeah, it was, and it was so painful. Oh, my gosh, it was so painful. Just like, because there was a large, like three or six months where nobody knew what was wrong. Mm -hmm. My knee, I was just in so much pain. So. Is it uh, better now? Was now that... I wouldn't know the difference. Oh, okay. I want to show you. I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> um, and now, now, now you wouldn't know the difference. And so that makes me happy. But the injuries were, uh, played a big role. Mm -hmm. And I will say this. Every single injury I have had mm -hmm. has led me to my 
I'll call them wackadoodle and brilliant ideas. Nice. I started two businesses when I was injured. One of them was a complete failure. Nice. And, and was was told no. Mm-hmm. The other one is what I'm also doing now. In addition, it's led to me owning this team. It's led to me with my followers. I wouldn't have my followers if I didn't get injured because I was yeah. obsessed with playing. Oh, wow. And that's that's how that shifted. What was and, your other business? Um, I started a. I was selling a yoga vest. I created a product, mm. and the purpose of the yoga vest was during COVID. Yoga teachers couldn't touch you anymore. So the concept was we would create a vest that during yin yoga, which is like the stretchy part, they could place a weighted vest on your back to act as an assisted stretch. And it would feel delicious. And when (laughs) I started doing it initially, I was injured with my ACL and I really wanted to get like flexible faster. And one of the ways you do that, which isn't quite perfect, but it's the way I did it, was you put weights on Mm. your muscles and make them stretch harder, yeah. basically. Uh-huh. And there's there's really no safe way to do it. I used to take a weighted plate, like a 10-pound plate, like stick it on my back and go into child's pose. Oh my and then God. it would smack you in the head and you'd die. Yeah. So I was like, this is dumb. Yeah. Why don't I come up with a better idea? That's what I did. Mm-hmm. And it was while I was injured because I had like more time and I was thinking. Yeah. So that's how that started. And then I started posting about my injury. And then I started going, I like posting. And you know, I want to help people. How can I help people while I'm injured? Yeah. And that the, all those injuries have led to something. Uh, in regards to something amazing, even at the moment right now, mm-hmm. I strained my hamstring a tiny bit, nothing serious, but it's led to me being open-minded to come talk to you. And like, yeah. otherwise, uh, otherwise once I'm playing soccer, I'm, I get pretty tunneled vision. Yeah. So it's, it's always, I don't wish for it to happen, but when it does, yeah. good things tend to happen. You make the best of it. Yeah. That's awesome. Was there ever a time you wanted to give up? I remember one time um, I had been a pro at this point for about three years. And what happened was I was at a team called Sacramento. I was there at Sacramento. And then after Sacramento, I went to the new coach came in. I got traded, end up in Wilmington, North Carolina, mm-hmm. which I loved, by the way. But it was a uh, that's why you asked why I went to church. <laughs> that's when I went to church because oh, okay. um, I was trying to be converted every other day. Oh, nice. Um, Did so- you? Uh, I did not convert, but uh, I got a lot of free dinners. And they, t- they were really nice to me, like everywhere I went. So I really enjoyed it. Nice. <laughs> uh, they treated me better than my own community. Just kidding. Uh, so it was really fun, actually, uh, being like, hey, you should come over here and you should hang out with us. And then like Jesus a little bit and then hang out with us. So I had a good time. Cool. Anyways, the team was awesome. And then the team folded. It mm-hmm. like ran out of money and that was it. And then I ended up in like a, like a no man's place. And I was like... Look, I don't want to stop. Like, I don't know what to do. And you don't make great money at this level, 1500 a month, 2000 a month. And I was like, mm, what should I do? Like, I don't want to stop. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And what happened in one of the games when I was in North Carolina is I was playing against this player. And in the middle of the game, he had already scored two goals on us. Mm-hmm. So it was really good. Okay. And we were both playing center mid for the opposing teams. So I was kicking him and he was kicking me. And I was like, this guy's really good. Why is he here? Like, he's better than all of us. Mm. Why is he at this level? Yeah. And then in the middle of the game, he turns to his coach who's yelling directions. He goes, can I swear on you? I think so, yeah. Okay. Shut the fuck up. You're an idiot. And he's a player. To his coach. To his coach. Mm -hmm. And everybody stopped. Like, the ref was like, do I stop the game? Mm -hmm. The coach was like, what the hell? And he was the captain. So the coach had picked him to be the leader. Okay. And just told him to fuck off. Yeah. So everyone was like, what? Then the game ended. (laughs) We tied 2-2. And I went up to him after the game. I'm like... You're so good. I mean, that part was weird. Yeah. But like, you're really good. What's your deal? <laughs> mm-hmm. 
And he had actually went to Stanford. He was a baller, played for the youth national team and played MLS. And he was kind of going back to his hometown and playing at that club until moving on to his next part of his life. So during my period where I didn't know what to do, I was like, what am I going to do with my life? I, what should I stop? Like, I was like, should I stop and do what? And, and the doing what for us, even if you have a degree, which I did, you're going to be a private coach or you're going to coach kids. Mm-hmm. That's all there is. So he sent my video, unbeknownst to me, to Sweden. The 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 player? The player did. That okay. Uh-huh. F- okay. And he was like, Zeb, I think you're a good player. And this coach I used to have is starting a new is taking over a new team in Sweden. And I sent your video over and they liked it. Mm-hmm. Which happens not that often. So I was like, Oh my nice. gosh, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. So they were like the team in Sweden were like, We'd like you to come over on trial and see how you do. So I flew over there. Uh, I played one of the better games of my life. I scored two goals in two games, which nice. I, I'm not even an attacking player, so you know, thank you. Um, and then uh, I signed and I was in Europe at that point. I was playing wow. at, a, at a high level. And, and that's what you wanted to and do. And that's what I wanted to go. Always. It was always the goal. I mm-hmm. wanted to get to there. And the Israeli story. Mm-hmm. Wait, so yeah. that was when you wanted to give up? Yeah, right. At that period, before he sent my video, oh. I didn't. I had really no contract offers. I'd got, I'd pursued all the tryouts. Oh, I see what you're saying. You were about to give was, up and then this great thing happened. And then happened. this great thing happens. Wow. Um, and it was like, nope, you're going to go to Sweden. Yeah. And I was like, I'd sent my video to a thousand teams. I emailed. I was like, I, I'm going to keep going. But yeah. like, this is, I don't know what to do. Time yeah. is running out. And then Sweden came. Mm-hmm. And then I went to Sweden and it was that. It was either I make the team or not. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, I made it. That's awesome. Talk about like don't give up before the miracle happens or what, well that said. is amazing. So, okay, well, just tell us about Israel since we're in Israel. Now. Yeah, so uh, I was in Sweden. That team was in Sweden. Okay. And the Israel situation happened like this. Part, when I was in that, I don't know what to do with my life. I'd gone to Israel. Oh. And what happened was... Like un-soccer related? Soccer related. Soccer, soccer related. related. Okay. Basically what had happened was after this one team had disbanded mm-hmm. and before I went to Sweden and that guy helped me. I was like, I got to do something. And I, as a Jewish person, I could get my Israeli passport. And the problem with England when I was little was you didn't have a passport. Mm. Well, I could get an Israeli passport, Mm -hmm. which would then theoretically make it easier for me to play in Europe if Uh I got it because I'm no longer an American. And American passport's like one of the harder ones to get a work visa for any country in the world. Israel's a little difficult still, but not as. And so I was like, look, I'll get my Israeli passport. I'll play in Israel. Work my way up the ranks. And another American had just done it right before me. Mm-hmm. And he went to the very top, played at the highest levels that there are. And uh, he and I got to know each other when I was there. And I was like, this is amazing. I'm going to go to Israel. It's going to be amazing. And so I go there and I went during January. January is what's called the transfer window. So you have one month to get signed. Once that month is over, no more. Okay. It's over. They close the doors. Mm-hmm. So I had one month. And I go on a bunch of trials. I go to one really big team. And I'm like, I killed it. I was so good. And I was like, I made the team. I can't wait to come to training tomorrow. And they were like, um, the coach got fired. Oh, like, my God. Oh, well, that's a bummer. How about the new coach? Would he like me? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, um, no. So I was like, well, that sucks. So what do I do? At this point, I don't have my Israeli passport. Mm-hmm. I'm applying for it. Okay. And then I learn that technically speaking, once you get your Israeli passport, you can get drafted for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Technically. Really? It's unlikely. Yes, you can. So... And this is, you know, assuming, you know, if the big bad boys, which as you know, in Israel is everybody around them, if they say like, we're going to, they can draft you like they, they can do that. And so my mother freaked out 
And it was like, you cannot get your Israeli passport. I will die before you do that. Because she doesn't um, want you to go. She doesn't want me to get drafted. Right. And I was like, look, the chance I get drafted, look, and I even did a bunch of research. Well, she, I don't, she didn't want you to like not be away from home. Is that what you mean? No, she didn't want me to get drafted. Why? Uh, because then I could die I in war. It? Oh, <laughs> oh my God. You're talking about getting drafted into sorry, the army? Into the army, yeah. Oh my God. I yeah, thought you were sorry. talking about getting drafted into no, the soccer sorry, team. Sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> so if you get your Israeli passport, you get drafted into the army. Okay. And so I had done a bunch of research. I told my mom, look, I don't speak Hebrew. I don't know. I, didn't, I wasn't trained. Yeah. They, they'd make me a paper man before they'd make me a fighter. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, if enough people get hurt, yeah. they're going to give you a gun. Mm-hmm. And she was freaking out. Yeah. So we were like, and that kind of made me scared. I was like, if I, every night before I went to bed, would I be okay knowing that it could happen? Um, and I wasn't really comfortable with it. So to the point of like, are you willing to do anything? Mm. You know, so then here's the good news was it while I was in trial in Israel, the time was running out and I was telling them like, I'm going to get my passport. And I was kind of like being like, I'm going to get it eventually, but it's going to take a while. Yeah. And they're like, well, why don't we sign you as an international player? And then next year you'll be an Israeli. Mm. So no big deal. It only will cost us half of what it normally would. Cause you're going to turn into an Israeli. So I was like, perfect. So I signed with a team in Afula, which is Northern Israel. Okay. And you talked about like, it was on my Wikipedia, but like wasn't. What happened was I'd signed the contract and my agent calls me and goes, look, you're going to play on Wednesday in this tournament. I'm like, great, super excited. So I go to the bus, I show up at the bus and the manager's like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, you all signed, I, I took pictures, like we, I signed yesterday. Yeah. And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. The owner doesn't like you and they fired that coach and you're not getting on the bus. Oh my God. And I had a contract, so like they had to pay me. Yeah. But like they wouldn't let me get on the bus. And Israel's crazy when it comes to soccer. <laughs> it's crazy, crazy. So then I ended up in Israel kind of for like a month. And then uh, I got kicked out. And then I uh, came home, didn't know what to do. And then I ended up in Sweden. Wow. That, that is the story. <laughs> so what about your first goal? For your first professional goal? My first goal I ever scored as a pro? Yeah, as a pro. Um, that's a good one. Uh, so I had signed for Sac Republic, mm-hmm. which was uh, had won the title the year before. Mm-hmm. So we and we were in first place. We were winning, and that again, this was after being told no, one thousand and ten times. And this coach was like, "I like you. I want you involved. I want you to play." So I came off the bench against Portland Timbers, which is a, an MLS team. Yeah, I know. And are oh, good, you know. Great. For anyone else that doesn't know, they're MLS, okay? <laughs> and uh, it was against their, like, second team. Mm-hmm. And uh, to be honest, I don't remember it at all anymore because I've watched it. I had to watch it back, obviously, because it was cool. So I only have the image of, <laughs> like, video. me on video. Yeah. I, and I lost the image in my head of, of the, moment. the moment. So I'm almost like, in the future, if I score, like, I don't want to watch it because you'll keep it in your brain better, I think. But I you know how you I don't felt, score that, right? I don't score that many goals. I do remember how I felt. How did you feel? How did I feel? Um, Really good, obviously, because... Particularly, we were winning 2-0. So, it like, and there was like, ooh, maybe they'll score and the comeback is on. And when I scored, game was over. Mm-hmm. Like, we won and it was all because of Zev. That's like the vibe it was. Which that's was, what happened? That's what happened. That's amazing. Uh, that was the, yeah, that's what happened. I scored and 3-0. They're like, there's only 15 minutes left. Game is over. Thanks Super thanks exciting. to Zev. Yeah. And it was a hell of a goal if you watch it back. I, mean, I tapped it in from five yards away. Um, <laughs> but uh, it was a, a great moment. And uh, with that particular team, I was... The rookie of the year and people and the fans really I like hopefully I'm doing a good job on camera. I really loved kind of being like a, a personality. Yeah. And I got invited to all these events and mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. And I was kind of famous. And it was the accumulation of all those things together. And then I scored. Yeah. And then, you know, ten thousand people there. So I remember that well. I remember staying afterwards and signing autographs for hours. Well, that's so and awesome. uh, I have a big head, so I loved every second. <laughs> 
<laughs> and it was amazing. I just had a great time. And my father was there, which wow. was really cool. And then I have this the best video of my entire life. It's so great. Maybe I'll give it to you so you can pull it up. But my brother's at college watching the game. And he goes, oh, my gosh, Zev's going to get laid tonight. Oh, my God. What a great goal. But his girlfriend's not there. But what a great goal. And it was like. The fact that he got to see it and he was, because ultimately as you go through this, and this is part of the reason I've come back home, is unless you share it with people, it's it's like, who cares? So to be able to, for them, everyone to have seen it and been a part of it. And it was definitely the, you know, the accumulation of all those no's. Yeah, I was just going to say. And then it was that goal. And then. Uh, then I got benched after that. No, I'm just kidding. Then I played a oh. lot more. And then later I got, I got, I got traded. So. Yeah. That's awesome. I think yeah. like, I was going to ask if that moment when you shot your first, shot your first goal, made your first goal. Scored. Scored your first goal. Scored your first goal. <laughs> when you scored your first goal, did it feel like the accumulation of all the hard work that you've ever done? Yeah, it definitely did. Uh, it, it really was like. Like oh your whole gosh. life. Really. Yeah, your whole life. And like, that's what you, that was like, that was the goal and that was it. And then. I was 21, so I was like, great, I, I did it. Mm-hmm. Now, like, how come Chelsea or Manchester United haven't, like, signed me? Like, what the heck? <laughs> I was like, I just scored my first pro goal. Like, I should be in England now. Mm-hmm. And and there was a lot of work to be done, obviously. But, uh, yeah, it was the accumulation of all yeah. of the no's for sure. That was me when I passed the bar. Oh, I bet. That I can was only like, imagine. It was like, I mean, I don't know. I, I only knew I wanted to be an attorney in college. So, mm-hmm. for me, it was, like, the accumulation of probably seven years, like four years in college. And then I worked a little and then, so maybe more than seven, like eight or nine years. Mm -hmm. And I was like, and studying for the bar was hell. It was like the worst time of my life. And then I remember that taking the bar was even worse than studying for the, like, it was a mental challenge. It was very hard. It was very like taxing. But I remember both of my parents were here. My dad was on this side. My mom was on this side. And, and the score came early, like your uh, test score came early. And I was just like, in the mail, no, on the computer, on the computer. Yeah. And like to open it, like it was not like you'd have to click, like open. I had to log into the portal. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that must've been, and you knew it, sometimes you would log in for other stuff. So this was like only for to get the score. Yeah. Oh, so, so I was so like, I was like looking at it. I just had it open like five minutes early just to like, just be ready. We were all just sitting there like checking our phones. Uh-huh. Like I was texting my best friend, Erica, cause she was getting her score too. Uh-huh. And then it said pass like two minutes early and we freaked oh out like we were, but it was gosh. like, I felt that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like all that hard work paid off in that one moment. And then it was like, a great moment, but then it like only got harder. Also, I was just about to say. Then after that, you got that's when you got all the no's. So hard, yes. <laughs> that's when you got all the no's. Well, actually, when I passed the bar was when I got yeses. Oh, you for did. the first time. Oh, okay. I guess everyone cool. was waiting for me to pass the bar, which got is it. cool. Yeah, that is cool. Um, okay. Wow, first goal is very exciting. What about um? Did you know you wanted to own your own club or was that just something that happened? Like, did you grow up being like, I'm going to own my own soccer club one day? <laughs> Definitely not. This is a, out of the left field. Basically, what happened, and it's very recent, like yesterday we actually cut like five players. It was It's like really interesting how it's happening. So basically... What does cut players mean? Uh, like? Cut means uh, I told them no. Oh, okay, okay. It's full circle. Right. <laughs> there you go. Uh, is basically, uh, in this particular instance... You know, I'm focusing on my own career, everything. I'm like, that's what I'm doing. And last year I played for a team called Richmond and we won the league. And I was like, wow, amazing. Mm-hmm. And I was away from home. And they may see this, in which case I had an amazing time. And technically there could be an opportunity to go back there. And that may happen, undecided. But 
when I was away, I was like, wow, like I, I really enjoy being near home. Mm-hmm. Home is important to me. Yeah. And I was like, since home is so important to me, how do I continue to play pro soccer but nearby? And my brother played for this semi-pro team, basically, and it had disbanded a year ago. And they came to us, my brother and I, and they're like, look, if you guys are willing to put some money into this and run it and restart it, it's yours. And first of all, to own a semi-pro team is crazy. Like, it's not an easy task. Like, there's so much paperwork. But everything was set for us. Like, the fields were ready. Mm -hmm. The paperwork was done. Somebody just had to do the work. Like, get the fields, paper. But it it was for the taking. And initially, we both said no. Like, thanks so much. That's fun. We just want to play soccer. Like, leave us alone. Then Ari and I, my brother, were, like, thinking about it. And we're like, look. And this kind of is hilarious. It goes back to this. I go, We've been told no a lot. Mm -hmm. We'll never have to be told no again (laughs) if we buy this team. (laughs) It'll be ours. (laughs) So we're like, that's pretty nice. Yeah. Because we've had a lot of no's in Mm -hmm. our life. And like, nobody's going to be telling me no anymore. Yeah. So I was like, that's pretty cool. And then for me, the accumulation of like, I really wanted to play soccer at the highest level I can. Mm -hmm. Play with my brother, which we've never played together before. Because just timing was always off. So he's a and soccer player too. He's a too. soccer player too. Very cool. He actually played, he's been paid to play before nice. as, a, so as a pro and he played college soccer. And my youngest brother also plays soccer. Nice. So like soccer family. Mm-hmm. And Ari and I were like, look, we really want to be a part of this. We want to do this together maybe. And mm-hmm. then of course, throughout the years, I'm sure you have this too. Every time I was told no, I was like, I would have done it this way. I would have done it this way. I can't wait to do it this way. I wish I could do it this way. Mm-hmm. And so over the years, you just accumulate all of that and you like have a – some people do. And that was my personality. And traditionally speaking, I was always kind of the captain or the leader of the team. And sometimes that goes in your favor. Sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And you have to learn early. Like you have to be – careful because you don't want to step on the coach's toes Mm -hmm. but each player and you know it in your life too you'd be like oh that person's definitely going to be a judge one day or that person's definitely going to stay a lawyer you just know their personality so Mm -hmm. my personality was yeah one day zeb's going to coach that was pretty obvious early on and i was like yeah and like how am i going to do that what can i do and so the whole reason i started helping kids play college soccer was so i could be a college coach one day Mm -hmm. that was the goal help the kids i'll I'll prove to the coaches i'm capable of being a recruiter and I don't want to stop playing yet. So I'll start helping kids in the afternoons, play in the mornings. And then when I decide to, I'll be a college coach. And then the my business took off of like helping kids. I really yeah. enjoyed it. And mm-hmm. I was like, wow, this is really fun. I really just love helping kids play college. Do I want to coach in college? I don't really know. I wasn't unsure. And unfortunately, the financial part of coaching college is not good. Mm. And I was like, what do I do? But I really, I still do want to coach. I was like, I want to coach. So then this team came about and all of us dream to some degree of particularly coaches, of having what's called an academy where it's like you're in charge and not only is your team in your power, but the youth teams that starting at six years old are like under your direction. Mm -hmm. And I have something I wish it did happen for me when I was 14. That coach took me as a 14-year-old and let me play with 18-year-olds. And he was like, you can play with the older boys. And it changed my life. So I'm really excited about this opportunity where I'll hopefully be able to go, hey, these are a group of players and some of them will be paid. I'll be paid. My brother will be paid. Uh, We're working on that part. We don't know yet. (laughs) And from that perspective, we may be pros, but the whole team won't be paid. And the idea also, though, will be, oh, my gosh, I'll be the boss. Like if I see a kid who's 16 that nobody believes in, I can pull him up and it'll be in my control. And traditionally speaking, 
my brother and I are the way we see the game is that player that's not picked. Yeah. We get to pick that because we were always that yeah. short, weird, different. And now we'll, we, our eyes are looking for that. Yeah. Like almost bummer for the players that are so good since they were 12. We're like, we don't want you. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, of course, if they're good, they're good. But n- now we're looking for the players that wouldn't get picked. That's yeah. who we want. That's awesome. So that feels really good. Yeah. That's really cool. I think your story is such a great example of like, like persevering even when you're faced with challenge after challenge after challenge. And it's like you had this passion that that drove you is what it sounds like. And it's cool to have that feeling like when you're really passionate about something. And I think most of the listeners have a passion for something, whether it's like I don't I don't know the analytics, actually, but I know most of the the listeners do have a passion for something that they're like trying to do. And so to hear to hear your story, it inspires me, especially as someone who has a passion for protecting the environment and wanting to be in this field and all the challenges that have come along with it. Um, But it's cool to like see that you've made it and like the twists and the turns that you've just you've pivoted and you've adapted and you've like created things out of nothing and that's just like that's cool that's really awesome thank you it was all to be on this podcast yeah that's why i did all the notes <laughs> all, for this, all the notes day. for this moment so thank you for saying no <laughs> that's awesome um i think this is a good place for us to stop you like you nailed everything all the questions i had um Great. but before we end we didn't like, even open the pickles we do you want to open the pickles i couldn't open <laughs> Save the those. it's a lot of i'm only gonna have a bite of water feels like a waste of the job we'll do it off camera yeah. um but where can people find you like what's what do you have going on this was the part i was waiting for the whole time yeah I'm just um on instagram and she'll tag me i'm sure mm-hmm. at zev football is my like uh, professional soccer page and then on tiktok it is college soccer guy and uh, dm me i know i really love helping people if you are a fan of hers then you're a fan of mine or i'm a fan of yours i should say and so if you have a question and you're like i would really you know you have a you need a little motivation or whatever send me a message i actually do free phone calls for like all people that would like help so you could schedule a call potentially for soccer for well in your case your audience may not be soccer people so if you put in my i have like a questionnaire and if they put in my form like i saw you on the kenya podcast or the thank you for saying no podcast then uh i'll do a call with you very cool that's awesome well thanks so much for being here this is great thanks for having me yeah Follow and subscribe to the Thank You For Saying No podcast and you'll get every episode as soon as it's released.